That is our prayer, that the Word of God would speak to us today, that through the study of His Word, that the Holy Spirit would fall upon this place and intersect with our hearts here this morning. If you would go ahead and turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, we're going to finish out Revelation 2 this morning. As you do so, I want to tell you a, a, a real story about a real church uh, over in Manhattan. And this particular church had a powerful witness for the gospel of Christ from the early 1900s until the 1960s when the membership of the church once was over a thousand people. They had lots of programs. They had they were doing lots of good works and lots of things were happening. But something happened there from the 1960s to the 1990s where things changed. You see, in the 1990s, they began to discover that the ministry of their soup kitchen, while meeting physical needs, was not meeting spiritual needs. That the same people were coming over and over and over again, and they were not seeing lives transformed uh, in, in, in the church that once had, uh, had, had, had a membership of over a thousand people. Now, this is in New York, okay? This is not, you know, out somewhere in the far-reached corners of nowhere Arkansas, okay? This is New York. This is in Manhattan. The church that once ran a thousand people had dropped to a membership of 120. And through a series of bad decisions and bad leadership, that church, one of the main problems of that church is they had surrendered the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had surrendered the truth of God's word. They had compromised. Remember we talked last week about Pergamum and Jesus is warning them. He's saying, you guys, you, you need to be careful. You're compromising too much here. Uh, you're on the edge. You're about to go over the edge. And, and he's sort of pulling them back to reality. And, 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 and this church in New York had compromised on biblical principles to the, to the point to which that in their soup kitchens that were feeding the homeless and meeting these physical needs that was being uh, funded and run by a Christian ministry in these soup kitchens, they would not even offer thanks for their meal for fear of offending the people that they were feeding. And they wonder, you wonder why a church could go from 1,000 to 120 in, 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 in that amount of time. Buddy, it can happen quick. Because when you surrender on the principles of God's word, anything could happen. They were doing a lot of good things, but they were not effective in preaching the gospel. They were diluting the word of God for fear of being perceived as intolerant and unloving. Let me tell you something, friends. We can feed as many people as we want to. And I love feeding people. I love the fellowships. I love hanging out with you guys. I, I love it when we, when we give to the food bank and when we give to Partners in Progress and, and we help to meet the needs in our community. But at the end of the day, a loaf 
of bread and a, and, and a jar of peanut butter and a two liter of Coke or in a 12 pack of water, whatever it might be, those things are not going to transform lives, not in and of themselves. That's why Jesus said to the woman at the well, uh, he said, if you knew who you were talking to, you would know that I offer uh, an everlasting water and that whoever drinks from the water, and this is symbolically Jesus is saying, spiritually he's saying, when you drink from the water of my well, you will never thirst again. He was saying that, uh, that the gospel transforms lives. And so as we look at this church here at Thyatira, this was a church in the loosest possible sense. It was a church that was actively compromising truth. They weren't on the edge of danger. They were over the edge, okay? They were way beyond the edge of danger. And it was a corrupt church. And, uh, and it was a church that was very delusional in their doctrine and in their thinking. And so Jesus composes a little message for them. And as we read this message that he writes specifically addressing their problems, uh, it is written to all believers. And even if we here do not struggle with these things, uh, we still find things that we could learn from. And so we're going to look here, and the name of the sermon here are conclusions of delusion. So as we look at how Jesus addresses the delusions of Thyatira, we can draw certain conclusions that apply to our everyday life and to our worldview. So we're going to start here in, in uh, verse 18, Revelation 2, starting in verse 18, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter. Write to the angel of the church in Thyatira, the Son of God, the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze, says, I know your works, your love, faithfulness, service, and endurance. Your last works are greater than the first. But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my slaves to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to repent of her sexual immorality. Look, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her practices. I will kill her children with the plague, then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts and I will give to each of you according to your works. I say to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold to this teaching, who haven't known the deep things of Satan as they say, I do not put any other burden on you but hold on to what you have until I come. The one who is victorious and keeps my works to the end, I will give him authority over the nations. And he will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery. Just as I have received this from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, we pray here today that you would help us 
to understand how the words written to this group of people 2,000 years ago has relevance for us today. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would enlighten us. The Word of God would speak and fall down like rain today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First conclusion that we see here in this passage, there's a lot, but I'm just going to draw a few for you. Number one, Jesus is the authoritative judge. We see that this passage is bookend, or the thoughts, the thought patterns of this passage are bookend with two succinct statements about Jesus being the authoritative judge. When Jesus says this letter is from the one whose eyes are like a fiery flame, whose feet are like fine bronze. And so we, we have to understand that, uh, that, that Jesus, the, the picture that he paints for himself as he goes on to speak these words to them is a picture that they would have understood in that day. One of the things that they were known for was for their bronze. And so bronze had to go through a process. Fine bronze had to go through a process. It was burned in the flame. All the purities were, remain, were removed from the bronze by the flame. And so, so what that tells us is, is, is here's Jesus and he is pure. He is righteous. He is, he is without sin. Here is Jesus, and, and he has feet like fine bronze. You know what that means? That means that he is pure, and he is persistent. We talked about that uh, week one or two when we did an introduction. Jesus describes himself as that, or John describes Jesus as that in his first description of, of, of Jesus here in the book of Revelation. And, and it means that he's persistent. He's pure. There, there's nothing's going to hurt him. He's going to walk through the fire. Uh, he, has, he has eyes. It says that, that his eyes are like a fiery flame. Okay? And, and just as a fire purifies and takes, burns out the impurities from a metal, from an ore, and makes it into a precious, usable, durable metal, so too the eyes of Jesus sees right through us. He sees right through us. In fact, we, we see that statement specifically in verse 23. He says, I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and, and I will give to each of you according to your works. We, we see a Jesus that is a judge. He is authoritative. He is pure. He is strong. That, that fine bronze was often used for tools and for weaponry. And so that fine bronze was very strong. And here's Jesus, very strong, very authoritative, and in a sense, very judgmental. You know, we live in a culture where people, people always say, don't judge me. And listen, in this passage... I am not judging anybody. You are not judging anybody. We are simply, we are drawing conclusions from a scenario where Jesus, the one who is the judge, he is the one who judges the living and the dead, and he is the one that is pronouncing these judgments. Listen, this is not a YouTube movie review. You know what I'm talking about? 
spoiler free, you know, come and watch my movie review. I, boy, I really hated that new Star Wars movie, or boy, I really loved it, or whatever it is. At the end of the day, a movie review, you can agree or disagree with it. That's just somebody's opinion. That's not what this is. These are words from the throne of heaven by a mighty, resurrected, reigning, supreme God. And he's going to say some things here. They're going to be hard for the thigh tyrants to hear. Remember, maybe you remember from chapter 1, we had mentioned that God exists to shape the opinion of man, not to worry about it, because he is the authoritative judge. The thigh tyrants were struggling with many things that some of many Christians are struggling with today. One of those issues being uh, really the question of how do we as believers, how do we maintain biblical integrity in a culture that devalues the Bible? How can you maintain biblical integrity in a culture that devalues the Bible? Well, that brings us to conclusion number two. Conclusion number two is that tolerance is not always the answer. A lot of good things you've done, Jesus says to the Thyatirans. You're doing some good things. Uh, you know, you got a lot of people coming to your church. You got a lot of programs. Uh, boy, you're feeding a lot of people. Everybody thinks that y'all are just good, good old folks. You know that? But this, all that aside, here's something that's a much bigger deal than that. This I have against you. That you tolerate. That you tolerate. I want that to sink in. Because we live in a world that tells us that the ultimate answer for everything is, is toleration. Be tolerant. And what, hear me on this. I'm not saying that we should be mean, hateful to folks. But I want you to understand that within the context of the ministry of the church, this is what Jesus is talking to, believers about the doctrines that they hold to as a church. He says, you're tolerating that woman, Jezebel. You, you tolerate her. See, Thyatira was a corrupt church, and the center of that corruption was this woman that Jesus calls Jezebel. We don't know if her name is really Jezebel. In fact, most scholars believe that it's probably not actually her, her actual proper name, but this is, a, uh, uh, this is more of a, uh, uh, of a judgmental term. This is a harsh term that Jesus is giving to her, that Jezebel isn't necessarily a, a, a specific person, but is a type of person. So there is a person who is a Jezebel. Her name may or may not be Jezebel, but she is the Jezebel type of person. This is like when, when somebody says, um, uh, says to you, hey, um, you know, hey, you're, you're a Judas, you know, you're a Benedict Arnold. Some of you know what that means. Maybe someone says, hey, you're a Hitler. You know what that means. That doesn't always mean that that's really not their name, but it means this is the type of person that you are. And so this was harsh language for Jesus to call somebody a, 
a Jezebel. Because Jezebel was one of the most evil characters in all of the Old Testament and in all of the Bible. Jezebel had political authority. She had financial means. She had access and, and the ability to manipulate the faith of, of Israel through the policies of the government. She, uh, she advocated for alternative spirituality, for new religion, for, for the, the, the worship of, of Baal, which became a tremendous problem in the life and the nation of the people of Israel. And now in Thyatira, here is a woman just like this. And you know, she probably, she probably didn't get to be this, uh, this, this highly... Uh, elevated authority on teaching by coming in and teaching craziness. She probably started with, with little Bible studies here or there. She probably started just maybe talking to women and preaching to women and then, then from there maybe moved up and moved up and before long not only here she is uh, proclaiming herself as ultimate authority on Scripture. It says she calls herself a a prophetess. She is elevated all of a sudden so through, a, through a series of events. She is elevated to, uh, to this place of authority. And now here she is saying, Oh, those Christian leaders that you've been listening to, you don't have to listen to them. Listen, listen, I, I want to tell you, I want to expose you to a new way of thinking. I want to expose you to an evolved spirituality. I, 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 we don't have to live in the dark ages anymore. That, that Bible, it was, boy, it was written a long time ago. Some of those things that these guys talk about in the Old Testament, that was a long time ago. That didn't count today. There's a lot of these things. Here, here she is advocating for a new spirituality. And, and, and suddenly now... You can have your cake and eat it too. Suddenly now, you don't have to worry if you're in Thyatira in 90 AD. You don't have to worry about maintaining biblical integrity in a culture that devalues the Word of God because you just water it down. You just dilute it. That's all you do. That way it, it works for everybody, right? What was it that she was leading them to do? She was leading them to sexual immorality. And she was leading them uh, to, uh, to worship false gods. In anything, it doesn't, you don't, just like we said last week, you don't have to be sitting in the center of a pentagram to be worshiping the devil. Okay? Anything that is more important to you than God is, is an idol. And that is idol worship. And that is sinful in the eyes of God. And listen. We're all guilty of it at some point. Jesus says, but that ain't right. It's not right. He calls them to repentance. He doesn't say, oh, y'all just hold hands. Y'all just get along. He didn't say that, does he? This isn't, this isn't butterflies and bubbles and, 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 and roses and flowers with Jesus riding in on a unicorn. Okay? This is resurrected, reigning, supreme, fully authoritative, fully righteous, fully God Jesus. These are his 
words. But you know, uh, a, a lot of time, a lot of times when we think about um, tolerance, it does bring up a lot of questions about tolerance because some people confuse some of the words that Jesus says in here about not tolerating certain things within the church. And they think, well, that means that I can't tolerate that, uh, you know, in, in the world. That, that, you know, that means that, uh, that I have to go to war with everybody in the world who's lost and, and doesn't agree with me. That's, that's really not what he's saying. He's talking about the context of the church and the doctrines and the beliefs. He's saying, what do you believe is right? That's what he's getting to. One of the, one of the best resources that I've found over the years on the seven letters to the seven churches, there's a lot of things out there. There's some awesome commentaries. Uh, I, I draw from those quite a bit as I'm studying. Um, there are some books, some great books out there that's been written. There's also some great sermons and some great biblical teachers that are out there that have a really good perspective on this. One of those is a guy named Mark Driscoll, and, and uh, he was talking about in his sermon uh, this idea of tolerance and where does that, where are the lines of tolerance? And so I want to read you some excerpts out of that just to kind of give you an idea of what we're talking about and what we're not here. When asked the question, should we have legal tolerance of other views, other religions, other ideologies, and other perspectives, he said yes, yes, and yes. He said because Christianity is, is not a religion or not a system to be imposed. It's about loving Christ. And you can't simply pass a law that says everybody has to love Christ because it doesn't work like that. They have, they have to choose to love. So we don't impose Christian faith, but we propose it. I thought that was interesting. We don't impose our faith. We propose the faith in that we have the idea that and the attitude that we'd like to talk to you about Jesus because Jesus loves you and, and we would love for you to love him. Uh, but we don't think for any minute that we could impose our faith. He, he says this. I thought this was a good quote. He said, I defend the right of religions, ideologies, spiritualities, and perspectives that I disagree with because... In the marketplace of ideas, you can throw Christianity in the mix, and the truth always wins. Now, he's talking about in the context of your culture, okay? He's saying that, that, that you have certain beliefs in the church as the church, but, but in your culture, uh, you should not think that you should be able to force people to think and believe all the same things that, that you do because, like they, like they say, the cream rises to the top. And, and, and when, you, when you look at all the different religious ideas out there in the marketplace of ideas, Christianity is the best. It is number one. And when looked at and when properly evaluated, you can come to no other conclusion. The truth always wins out. Number two, he says, how about social tolerance in the community. He was asked about family members that disagree with you or a friend that disagrees with you, co-worker, neighbor, whatever that, that, that might be. They hold a different, um, maybe a different viewpoint, a different religion, spirituality, ideology. Maybe they're an atheist or an agnostic. And, and the question is, do we tolerate them so, socially and personally? And he points out that Jesus said 
that we are to love our neighbor, but it does not say that we have to agree with them. And I think that is one of the things that our culture has completely misinterpreted in that in order for you to love somebody, that you have to agree with them all the time. I think both in the church and outside the church, we have confused love for agreeance. It's great when you can agree with people. It's much easier to love them when you agree with them on everything. Jesus didn't say, love your neighbor who agrees with you. He just says, love your neighbor. And so, so we are called to love our neighbor. That includes people outside the church that may not agree with us. And he, he's asked about, about theological tolerance in the church. And he's talking about within the, the bonds of orthodoxy or, or uh, within what, what I would call secondary issues. He says there are primary issues and there are secondary issues. For example, primary issues. These are things that, that, that you cannot compromise on. Jesus is Lord, okay? The Bible is the inerrant word of God. There's no compromising on that. There's no compromising that this salvation is found through Christ alone, that He is the way, not a way. There's no compromising on that. Those are primary issues. The Bible specifically says certain things are sin. The Bible specifically commands that we uh, do certain things. And those are not always easy, but they are, they, they are primary because they are clear in Scripture. Secondary issues might be you know, is the rapture going to happen pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib? Secondary issues might be, do you have music or do you not have music? Now, for some, that's a primary issue, but, 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 but not for us, okay? Um, uh, secondary issue, do you do the Lord's Supper every Sunday or once a quarter? Okay, there are debates about those things. Those are secondary issues. Those are, those are things that you discuss within the family, you know. Within the family, you, you, you talk about those things. I, I, had a, I have a really good friend who, for years, who was a man of God and a person of the Word of God and, 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 and for years has, has argued whether or, not, uh, whether or not the church as an institution is, uh, is, is biblical in that you know, is the church more than just a gathering of people? You know, does a church have a, have a specific job, specific purpose? Does the church exist locally and globally? Is there a difference between the church and, and, and which is everybody in the world who believes and the local church, which is a specific gathering of believers like this one? And we were having these conversations as brothers in Christ kicking these things around and praise God we came to some scripture and he was a person who was, who was guided by scripture and that scripture very clearly steered him uh, to, uh, to, to uh, understanding that indeed there is the church and then the local church. Those are secondary issues. It's the way we, we, we kick things around as believers, but there are, there are things that you cannot tolerate because Scripture divides people into three categories. There are the sheep, there, there's the shepherd, and of course uh, the shepherd would be pastors, leaders of the church. Uh, Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the ultimate shepherd. Everything 
falls under his authority, his leadership, his instruction. But then you have the sheep, you have the shepherd, but then you have the wolves. And what kind of shepherd does not stand up when there is a wolf at the gate? You see, you see, in Thyatira, they not only allowed the wolf to get close to the gate, but they allowed the wolf in the pen. And, 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 and the wolf didn't have on sheep's clothing. The wolf had a staff. It said, I bring you a new message from the Lord our God. You know, there are other people throughout history who have done that same thing, men and women, both. Um, many, many other um, Christian-like or Christian-themed cults that are out there. They were started by people who said, hey, look, I'm a prophet. I'm a prophetess. I have a new word. I want, I want to teach you a new way to think about God. Listen, we have to be careful of those things because, because a, uh, uh, anyone who leads you away from the authority of God's word is not a shepherd, but is indeed a wolf. And so, so we have to understand that tolerance is not always... Not always the issue. Third conclusion is that self-proclamation does not determine truth. Self-proclamation does not determine truth. Jezebel said, I am a prophetess. She declared, she self-identified as a prophetess. But according to Jesus, the ever-righteous, all-knowing creator of all things, who judges the living and the dead... He doesn't seem to affirm her role as a prophetess or as a teacher of truth. We are defined by Christ. and we, we understand that definition through the inerrant word of God. We are defined by Christ because we belong to Christ. What does he, what does he say about Jezebel? She's, she's teaching who? who is, she te- is she teaching and leading astray? He says, my slaves. You see, we belong to Christ. This is a big, these things that he's addressing, these are big deals, okay? In fact, I want you to understand that in all the seven letters to the seven churches of Revelation, the letter of Thyatira is the longest one. And I think it's because they were the most messed up. They were the most, they were so delusional in their thinking and in their doctrine that Jesus said, listen, y'all gonna have to get right. This ain't right. This is this, look at what the Bible says. And, and so he says, you belong to me. You don't belong to each other. You don't belong to your culture. You belong to God. Listen, did, did, did your culture die on the cross for your sins? No. Jesus did. And so he says, he says, you belong to me. This Jezebel, this is a big deal because she's leading my slaves, my children, my people astray. It's a big deal. He loves you. He died for you. He made a way for you. He has called you to forgiveness and he has created you with a purpose. And that purpose is to follow and to serve him. And as you do that, he will will begin to fine tune and, 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 and make clear that purpose in your life. Here's, here's another thing. Embracing deception is serious, is a serious and dangerous offense. 
And you look at the words and what Jesus says he's going to do. She doesn't repent. He says, I've given her a chance to repent. Her time has come. Okay? Her, her days are just about up. I'm done. And then he says, and, and any who, who refuses to repent of following her teachings, they're going to go through a really difficult time. You, you, you think your life is hard now? You think it's hard to be a believer in Christ now? You wait. That's what he's saying. He's saying, he, he, he's saying this is dangerous. This is serious. This, this is a big deal. This is not preference. This is not opinion. This is what Jesus says. He uses harsh words because he is sovereign and he is all-powerful and he is speaking from the throne. He is not playing around. This is a big deal to him. The last, the last thing that um, I want you to see here is that, um, is that repentance. Repentance is required. Repentance is required and it brings reconciliation. See, Jesus says, unless you repent. But see, here's the thing. If we have sin, no matter what it is, we may not struggle with the same sins. I hope we're not struggling with the same sins that Thyatira was struggling with. But, but the, the reality is, at some point in your life, probably pretty often, you're going to struggle with sin. You're going to struggle with sinful attitudes. You may struggle with sinful actions. Whatever it might be, you're going to struggle with sin. Jesus says the answer is repentance. Because repentance brings reconciliation. What was the whole point of Jesus coming down and saying, y'all need to change so that they would change? So that they could be reconciled unto God? So that he, his purpose and his glory would be evident in their life? Because he has a plan for them he has a purpose for them, and they're not fulfilling their purpose when they're following the teachings of this false teacher. And when they're embracing deluded and false doctrines. And when they're not focused on the truth of God's word and the gospel. Listen, folks, this church, praise God, our church is not a Thyatiran church. Okay, Nowhere near it, not so far as I can see. But we can glean some understanding from this here today. Uh, maybe, maybe God has intended that we would further be further guarded from, from some of these false doctrines. Maybe, maybe today uh, the Lord wants to further guard us, not just as a church, but personally from falling prey to the wolves within our culture and even some who call themselves Christian leaders. Maybe today God wants to give us clarity on what, uh, what godly and Christ-centered tolerance really looks like. Maybe today God is just calling us to repentance. And it may not be repentance of, of, of the Thyatiran sin. Maybe it's just a repentance of our own attitudes and our own lack of passion for God, our apathy for the things of God and His Word, our, maybe our cowardness when it comes to standing for our faith in our culture and in our homes. I, I don't know what that is or what that looks like, but it's possible that God is calling us into repentance. Greatest of all, we know that Scripture tells us that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That, that whosoever shall call upon His name She'll have everlasting life. If you've never called upon the name of Christ, maybe it's time for you
to repent and to turn and to follow him and to say, hey, look, it, it's time for a life change. Like I, I, I've been around Christianity, but I haven't been in Christianity. I, I don't know what it is for you, but I know that God is working in our hearts as we read the word of God. May we be conformed to the truth. Because you see, some people, some people want to change the truth to conform to their lifestyle. But God, through biblical Christianity, calls us to change our lifestyle to conform to the Word. Let's pray.